We are in a series entitled Believe, and we're studying the Gospel of John in the context of his writing, of the purpose of his writing, and that was that we may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and have life by believing in his name. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for this time to study your word together. We thank you for what you are going to do in, in both campuses tonight, and for those who will be um, seeing this on the internet and, and on television, God, we just pray that the word of God would reach forth and bring faith to every heart who hears. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you for our time together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. <clears throat> we last saw Jesus in the region of Samaria, where he met a woman with whom he shared his grace. We call her the woman at the well. She was transformed from a woman with a bad reputation to the town evangelist who led many to the feet of Jesus. He stayed, with them for, he stayed there for another two days, talking to them, teaching them, speaking, and the Bible says, and many believed because of what they heard Jesus say. This time, we're going to look at a personal story of faith about a father with a dying child who came to Jesus in desperation. And hopefully, we're going to learn a little bit more tonight how to trust God in times of adversity. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to John chapter 4. We'll read verses 43 through 54 together. After, the two, after two days, he departed from Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Then the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke and to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked him, or he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. That would have been about one, one o'clock in the day. The father knew that was the hour, listen now, when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Remember that John is writing these accounts so that we may believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. But in each and every account that we read, there's a personal message, I believe, to us all. The official that's mentioned in this passage, some versions of Scripture call him a nobleman, served most likely in the court of King Herod, the son of Herod the Great, who had been king when Jesus was born. He was a man of means. He was a man of authority. 
Yet even in his home, there arose a need greater than he could meet. His son was sick and dying. This just shows us that adversity touches us all. That's a great place to say amen. It really does. We all have things at times that arise that are beyond our control, things for which we must learn to trust someone or something greater than ourselves. That's where faith comes in. When we're faced with something greater than we can influence or impact, we must have faith in something greater. I want to talk to you about three things tonight. And the first thing is this. Faith is born, is often born in adversity. Now, I'm not one who believes in a sadistic God that loves to put people through trouble. I'm just not. I don't think God gets his kicks off of us going through hard times. I don't believe that every bad thing that happens is sent by him. Sometimes we get ourselves in a pickle. Sometimes we have to recognize that we're human. And trouble comes with the territory of humanity. We are living a fallen experience, and because of the fall of man, trouble entered the world, and if we're in the world, we're gonna run into trouble, okay? Now, here's the thing about adversity, though. Adversity, although, although faith is born in adversity, adversity tends to get our attention. Now, this man would have had an important life and a busy schedule. As a ruler, as a leader, he would have had much on his plate. But when his son got sick and was dying, it caused him to shift his focus to that which was more important. Trouble, opposition, pressure, illnesses, or other various trials tend to garnish our thoughts and shift our focus and even consume our energies. It can be something as small as losing a job, but it gets your attention. It can be something as big as a catastrophic illness, but it gets our attention. It can be trouble in our home, but it gets our attention. Adversity commands our attention. All of you, how many of you are parents? Hopefully we've got some in 11 tonight who are raising their hands as well. You can identify with the desperation of this man who had a child who was sick and dying. Every one of you can. His most important task was to do everything he could to see that his son survived. We see commercials all the time of St. Jude's and how when they tell about when their child gets really sick, it changed their whole world. I mean, they would leave their jobs and they would go stay in places where their children just to try to help their child live. It was a consuming adversity he was facing. But adversity not only tends to get our attention, it also tends to remind us of our limited ability. The truth is, there are many things that take place in this life that are too much for us to handle on our own. Some things are beyond our ability to solve them. You can bet that this wealthy nobleman had spent 
means and money and doing all that he could to find the best medical care for his son. I remember several years ago, many of you may not know, but my mom is a breast cancer survivor. And several years ago, she got breast cancer. And my dad really struggled deeply, personally. And, and we were having a conversation about it one night. And, and he said, son, this is the first thing that's ever happened to your mama that I can't fix. Think about that. Because all she had ever been through, he was there to run interference. He was there to help work it out. But this was something bigger than he could work out. Listen, nothing this man did up until the time he approached Jesus could improve or impact his son's situation. He needed help, and that's what adversity does. It causes us to seek divine assistance. At first glance, you may think that it took very little effort for this man to come to Jesus in behalf of his son. But think on it a minute. He traveled all the way from Capernaum, 15 to 20 miles, just to see Jesus. He could have had one of his servants go. Someone under his command could have gone. He could have sent word, and with his authority, he could have demanded that Jesus come. But think of this. He might have been, man, knowing he was a man of means, he could have rode a horse, he could have rode a camel, he could have had a Ferrari. I don't know what was happening back then. But I do know this, by any means possible, he got to where Jesus was. Let me just stop and say something here. It's comforting when you're going through adversity to know someone is praying for you. How many of you will say amen to that? I'm grateful for the family of God that rallies around. But did you ever think that the adversity you find yourself in today was designed so that you will seek the Lord? Hmm. No one can do your seeking for you. People can pray with you. They can pray for you. But when you are in dire need, nothing will replace the pursuit of your own faith. Wow. We have to seek. This man taking this journey, it shows us a deep love for his son. But it also points out a real faith in Jesus because he would not have made this effort to get to where Jesus was if he didn't have some basis of faith that Jesus could help. Sometimes faith to pursue divine assistance requires some tenacity. Sometimes it is a real pursuit. Sometimes you have to mount up and ride the journey of faith. Everything doesn't just come easy. <clears throat> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of preaching that I call name it and claim it or blab it and grab it. Okay? But when you are in real need, sometimes you have to saddle the horse and you have to ride the journey of faith and pursue God for the answer. Think about it. Here's the good news, though. It's worth it because there's nothing going on in your marriage too big for him. There's nothing going on with your children, <coughs> pardon me, too big for him. 
There's nothing going on in your health too big for him. There's nothing too big going on with your job too big for him. There is nothing in your life that is too big for Jesus. Can I get an amen from somebody? Mount up the horse and ride the journey of faith. Now, the next thing, faith is born in adversity. Secondly, our difficulty is really his opportunity. Let's read verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, don't feel bad about what I'm about to say. Because if we will admit it, it happens to all of us. Follow this now. Adversity is a natural opportunity to worry. Oh, we're religious. We don't do that. We're great people of faith. We never have any doubts, fears, and we never worry about anything, do we? I mean, we walk around too blessed to be stressed. (coughs) Yet... There are things that take place that are natural opportunities for worry. Don't think for one minute that this man's journey of faith was void of worry. Neither is ours. As a matter of fact, we see his worry right in the midst of his faith. Jesus rebuked this man because he said, unless you see something, you won't believe. And we pretty much live in that world today that we have to see it to believe it, right? That's what freaks me out about AI. Because we're going to see some things we're going to believe and they're not going to be real. It's already taking place. I'll talk about that more in a minute. But you can see the desperation in this man's words. When Jesus rebukes him and says, unless you see a sign, you're not going to believe. Here's what he says. Sir. Come down before my child dies. I can hear the desperation as he utters the possibility that his child is going to die. Yes, that's persistent faith. Even after he was rebuked, he asked again. But listen, it was also an acknowledgement of his greatest fear. You can hear the sheer terror in his voice. The fact that he was worried about his son dying, however, did not discount the fact that he was seeking Jesus for a better outcome. Listen to me. Faith is not the absence of fear. It absolutely is not. Faith is when you are scared to death of the outcome and you choose to trust Jesus. So many times we, and listen, I understand what the Bible says about believing in your heart and doubting not. Let's read that. Mark 11, 23. This is the scripture that my Nana, I think, would mark our cards with when she would send us to, uh, send cards to us. And, And truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Now, this scripture is often used to increase our faith. But sometimes it is used, listen now, to shame people for their lack of faith. Well, I didn't just believe enough. 
I didn't pray hard enough. I didn't put in the work. Listen to me. As if it was the size of our faith that determines the outcome. When you understand the original language that we do not doubt in our heart, it will help you. Here's what it means. When we believe in our innermost being that we've already determined the outcome that is opposite of what we are believing for. When we are praying in faith, trying to believe, but deep down we've already decided it's over. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's the level of, of doubt that he's talking about. He's not talking about the fact that thoughts of doubt may run through your mind. I heard one preacher say, just because you struggle with doubt doesn't mean that you have it. And just because doubt runs through your mind, it doesn't have to make a nest and stay there and rob you of your faith. Wow. Besides, Jesus spoke of faith in the smallest term possible. The grain of a mustard seed. The grain of a mustard seed moving something the size of a mountain. That's pretty powerful. So we must deduct that it is not the size of our faith, rather it is the size of our God that determines the outcome. Because if it takes the miraculous, it cannot depend on me. It has to depend on him. And when we place our faith in him, adversity is really God's opportunity to go to work. This really helps me when I worry. I try to remember my situation was a setup for what God wants to do in my life next. If you don't understand grace, you'll view every adversity in your life as punishment for your past. But if you understand grace, you'll see adversity as preparation for your future. You'll realize that God is not beating you up for something you've done wrong. He's getting you ready to do something right. You know, I'm just going to be honest with you and tell you, I don't like going through stuff. I, do anybody like going through stuff? No takers? Nobody's that holy that we like going through adversity? You're right, there are none of us that holy. I don't like it, you don't like it. But we have to remember that our problem is an opportunity for the display of his power. Our predicament might be working toward his purpose in some way that we don't understand. It's the only thing that sometimes can make sense of what we go through. We have to remember he is always working for our good and he's always working for his glory. <laughs> and it's not about getting what I want. Faith is not about that at all. See, adversity is not resolved according to my will. Adversity is resolved according to God's will. There is nothing more dangerous than trying to attach our fleshly expectations to his divine will. Think about it. We usually have a plan God should follow. I mean, we thought it through. We got it down. God just cooperate now and it'll all be good. Listen, 
Faith does not work according to the will of man. It works according to the will of God. And the thing of your pursuit while you're praying and pursuing God in faith, you know what's happening? In the same process of your pursuit, there's surrender taking place in you so that when you get to the moment where you get whatever answer it is that you are seeking, you are resigned to the divine will and faith will work according to the will of God. Wow. Look at this exchange one more time. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go and your son will live. I want you to notice that the official told Jesus, come, and Jesus told the official, go. <laughs> it could not have been more opposite than his plan. He had it all mapped out. I'm going to go get Jesus. He's going to come to my house. He's going to lay hands on my son, and my son is going to live. And Jesus says, I'm not subject to your plan. So many times we think we lack faith, and we feel guilt for that, and we feel heavy for that, when all the time God's working a different plan than we're working. Come, Jesus. Jesus says, go, man. Can you imagine he had his heart set on how this was going to go, and he goes for a miracle and leaves with nothing but a word. How devastating that must have been. When you're desperate, you want to see fire rain down from heaven. You want to see Jesus walk in the room. We even sing songs about it. What would you do if he walked into this room? We pray, whatever it looks like, whatever it sounds like, come Lord Jesus. When we're in trouble, we want to see all of heaven's armies deployed. But remember, our Lord and Savior is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he doesn't need an army, and he doesn't need a carnal plan, and he doesn't need assistance from anyone. Whatever he says, it shall be. Can I get a witness from somebody in this room tonight? How unfair this must seem. Jesus, I've come all this way. My boy's about to die, and you won't even come. And this one instance teaches us about real faith in the time of adversity. Here it is. Real faith is trusting his sovereignty. It would have been a good opportunity for an argument. You have a ruler of authority. You have someone who has the power to command people to do things, yet he runs into the divine authority. There could have been a conflict. Keep in mind the real identity of Jesus as the Christ was not widespread yet. They believed it in Samaria for some reason, but they didn't already believe it in the region of Galilee where they were. They just knew that he was someone that was sent from God that could do miracles that would help in their time of need. How insulting it could have been for Jesus to turn this man's invitation down. This man could have gotten angry and he could have gotten upset with Jesus. He could have caused a scene. Instead, what we see is real faith. Watch this. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. It's interesting 
that Jesus rebuked him because he would only believe for signs and wonders and then he chose not to do one, he chose to speak instead. (laughs) That's because real faith comes by hearing the word of God. When you look at this whole chapter together, context kind of kicks you in the teeth. I mean, you've seen him with uh, with the people in Samaria. You saw him in chapter 3. He was there with Nicodemus. And you've seen this progression. Now watch this. Our text tells us that the Galileans had been to Jerusalem and they saw Jesus manifest his power and authority in the temple. They, many of them may have heard him say, uh, speak of his own death and his resurrection that would take place in three days later. Some had witnessed the miracle in Cana where he turned the water into wine. That is also referenced in the text. Their faith was sight-based. But if you look back at the Samaritans, their faith ran deeper. Watch this. Go back up to verse 41 and 42. And many more believed, not because of his miracles, because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Faith based on hearing, not based on sight. If all you have is a word from Jesus, you can become, you've got what you need. I need to say that again. If all you have is a word from the Lord, you've got more than enough. And you may not see what you thought you were going to see or experience what you thought you were going to experience. But once the confidence comes that the Lord has spoken on the subject, whatever the Lord says shall be. Wow. For faith is the only proper response to the word of truth. The only proper response. The Bible says on one occasion that the word benefited them being mixed with faith. Faith is the only acceptable response to divine truth. People were familiar Jesus says, a prophet is without honor in his own country. People were familiar with the carpenter's son, but they had not yet yet got acquainted with God's son. And they saw him through the eyes of that which was familiar. And I think sometimes we do that in the church. We come to church and we hear the word. We sing songs to Jesus. Well, sometimes we sing songs about Jesus and some songs, songs we sing to Jesus. But we get real familiar with the concept of Jesus being our friend, that he's close to us, that he loves us and we love him. But I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that the church may have gotten to the place where we've gotten a little bit familiar with the things that are still holy unto the Lord. I, I think that maybe we've just gotten Jesus that's our friend and we forget that he's the son of the living God, the soon coming king, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. See, this Jesus we call our friend, he's special. He is something special. And we don't need to get so familiar with him that we get comfortable and see him just as a friend rather than the one 
who spoke the world into existence. Understand, they knew the carpenter's son. They did not know God's son yet. Let me ask you this. Tying all, all this together, do you think we dishonor Jesus when we believe only what we see and not what he says? That was Galilee. That was Nazareth. That was his home turf. They believed only what they saw. Do you think that's how we dishonor him? When we believe what we see over what we've heard? When we trust and put more confidence in our problem than we do his promises? I believe it dishonors the Lord. I don't want to have more faith in my circumstance than I do the Savior of my circumstance. I want to make sure that I honor him by believing him. Let me show you the ultimate display of faith on this man's part. The Bible says he believed the words Jesus said to him and he went on his way. Now watch this. He had not seen the miracle, but Jesus said go and he went. The greatest display of faith is when we haven't seen it come to pass, but still we walk in obedience to the Lord. I believe obedience is the greatest display of faith. When you choose to do what God says when he's not done what you want. This man simply took Jesus at his word and he walked in obedience till he saw the miracle. Watch this. And he did so with an apparent calm and ease. Read verses 51 and 52. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. Yesterday? Yesterday? Wait a minute. You mean that man didn't run right home? That he didn't get that horse in a full gallop or that camel with both hooks turned up? He didn't strip the gears and burn the rubber to get home. There was a day that passed before he even went home to check to see how his boy was doing. That's a calmness. That's an assurance. If it had been me, I would have been like Elijah outrunning the chariot. I would have made a beeline to go check on my miracle. I would have been running and saying, I've got to go make sure I've got to confirm what the Lord has said. But this man believed what Jesus said to him and went on his way and did not even make a beeline back to the house to see if it was true. You know, the thing is, he just did what the Lord told him to do, and he let the Lord do what only the Lord can do. So many times, when we get a word from the Lord, we try to help him out. We try to arrange things so it'll happen. And it's amazing how we can mess up miracles. It really is. What God wants us to do when we receive his word on something it's just walk in confidence and in obedience and let him handle the details. 
I don't have any business messing with God's business. All I need to do is be obedient. Jesus didn't say any specific instructions. He said, go, your son will be well. The guy continued on his journey, whatever that journey entailed, and it was the next day before he heard what had happened to his son. See, sometimes the result of faith may be immediate. God may speak. Do you know that God hears you the first time you pray? But sometimes there's a, there's a minute that comes in between the, the uh, how did I put it? It, it? There's a minute between the result and the reward. The result of seeking the Lord is finding him. The result of seeking him is having him speak into your situation. But sometimes it takes a minute from when he speaks to when we see. Would you agree with that? That's where most people give up. In between the time the Lord speaks and the time that we see. You know, I was a little troubled by this scripture because I hear so much about praying until something happens and pushing through and and just fighting for your miracle that you need from God. And, And here's a man that pushed through until he got a word. But once he got a word... The stress was moved. The pursuit was done. Jesus had spoken. He was just to be obedient to what the Lord had said. The Lord would take care of the rest. Watch this. The father knew that it was the hour when, he had, uh, when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And if he himself, he himself believed in all of his household. This teaches me something about how God works. God always works for maximum glory. He always works for maximum glory. He chose to speak a word at least 15 to 20 miles away from the location of this boy. But because he spoke it, at the moment he spoke it, watch the power of his word travel 20 miles in a millisecond. From the moment he spoke it, the boy began to get better. Here's what I feel like the Lord wants me to tell you. What, the same thing the angel told Daniel. God heard you the first time. He heard you the first time. He went to work on it. There may be some satanic opposition as there was with Daniel in the Old Testament. But guess what? God heard you the first time. And we keep praying and we keep seeking until we get the word. But once we get the word, it's time to stand up and say, you know what, devil? You've stressed me out long enough over this. I've worried enough over this. I've cried enough over this. I've I've doubted and had fear over this. But the Lord has spoken. And when God speaks, fear has to go. There's a song that says, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I'm standing in his love. Well, I want you to know something. When God speaks, fear has to go. When God speaks, the stress has to leave. When God speaks the worry has to go why because when he speaks things happen I don't ever want you to feel less than because in your journey of faith you experience moments of fear I don't want you to feel like there's something wrong with you when the bird of doubt flies in one ear and out the other just don't let him make a nest in between We're all human. We all worry about certain outcomes as did this man. But here's what I know. 
when the word of God is released, the outcome is now based upon what was declared by the Lord. I've um, hesitated to, uh, to share this tonight. But I look and there, there's a little boy back there in a uh, thing around his mama's neck. It looks like a grocery bag with, with straps on it. And I call him Bo. I'm the only one that calls him Bo. And the reason I do is because he's a Belford and an O'Neill. And you put B-O together and you've got Bo. Okay? So he even, when I call his name now, his mom and dad's going to have problems at home. Why, you know, why are you calling me Lincoln when my name is Bo? Um, it's, uh, <laughs> you're, you're, you're welcome for that. Um, we all know the journey that, that Bo, can you bring, is, can you bring Bo up here to me? Um, we all witness this journey. And I'm going to tell you something about this tenacious mama. By the way, while she's coming, my life is so messed up now. I used to have order in my meetings at church. And I, I used to, my, you know, there's babies everywhere. They're hanging around their moms like that all the time. Like a growth or something, you know. They're, they're just there. Hey, Bo. Hi, buddy. How are you? Yeah. He woke up, didn't he? Many of you don't know, but this mama spent many nights by herself at the hospital. By the side of this boy's bed, she was uh, to have twins, and one of them lived and one of them didn't. And we thought we were at the victory point when this one got to come home from the hospital, but he's been back in and back out and back in and back out. But I watched her mount her horse and take the faith journey every day. I watched her pray and believe and cry and doubt and fear. But you know what? Somewhere along the way, they told her that, that because of what he'd been through, there was going to be certain things that might not work well with Bo. One of them was that he was not supposed to be looking in his peripheral vision. And I remember us having a conversation, and the Lord spoke a word of acceleration in his healing. And you know what happened? That word was released, and all of the markers, he has already surpassed them that they thought he was going to get to. Why? Why? She mounted up on that horse. She rode the, the ride of faith. She struggled with doubts, fears, and worries. She still don't want you sneezing on him. She will get on to you if you do that. I, I get that. But you know what? Once God spoke, it was a settled issue. And this little boy started looking. Have a... I walked up to the side of his, his uh, baby, uh, whatever you call him now. They used to call him carriages. But, but he, was, he was in his car seat sitting there. And I walked up beside him and called his name. He started looking around with his eyes, something he was not supposed to do. It's not the fact that you may go through moments of doubt or worry or fear. It's the fact that you keep on mounting the horse and taking the journey of faith. And trusting the sovereignty of God, regardless of the outcome, because we serve a Father who's always working for our good, and he's always working for his glory. Thank you, Bo, for coming up and helping me preach, buddy. I love that kid.